Awesome. I am so excited uh, to chat about this because there's some fun stuff happening that you guys have announced this week and we're going to dive in. So Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Algorand is? Um, sure. So Algorand is a developer of uh, public blockchain protocols and technology. And I think if you take a step back, um, what blockchains really represent is a shift where uh, the world can transact uh, with people that ordinarily would have no reason to trust each other. And I think in the you know kind of the world that we know, you really need to understand who the person is on the other side of the table, who the firm is, um, and you know whether that's that's acceptable to you. And I think what that really means is there's a broader shift from one from a world where we're trusting people to one where we're trusting code. And I think the reality of that is it opens up all sorts of fascinating possibilities uh, for new markets and new opportunities. Um, but it also means that you really need to uh, trust kind of the underlying technology and code and understand uh, that security. And uh, at Algorand, we have um, some of the most uh, interesting researchers in the world who have uh, led by Silvio Micali and uh, have really thought through how you scale these networks from uh, you know relatively small uh, networks to you know billions of users around the world. And I think um, that's something that that uh, we've been focused on from day one, and are really excited excited to see the evolution of. I'm excited too. I think we all are. Jeff, tell us about Nax Group. Yeah, Nax uh, stands for New Asset Exchange, and basically what it does is it it works with corporate partners and takes assets that they have that are at scale and uh, transforms them into new digital assets or alternative assets. Um, it's kind of like we're building the NASDAQ with the exception of everything that goes on our exchange uh, we've built. Uh, so we have a development arm uh, that mines the corporate assets, uh, a technology arm that helps us transform them, a securitization arm that allows us to create liquidity, uh, and then a, a DeFi platform, which we depend heavily on Algorand for. So that's the, uh, the connection. I love it. And young man on the end, um, do you mind introducing Barry. Barry. <laughs> I was in your contract, so she get it right. So. I think everybody knows you. Um, so guys, this is an interesting point in time, right? Like what's happening in the market why now why why have you been making one tell us about your big announcement and like why this week why now well there's many different reasons but i think the the the, the number one reason after doing extensive research on tier one protocols it became clear to skybridge and the research team that algorand is going to have a very big future in DeFi. um will there be a hundred that can say that likely not Will there be three to five that will say that? Uh, we believe that there will. And when you think of Algorand's interoperability and you think of the anti-fragility of Algorand's technical properties in terms of the way you can lay out transactions, and I'm gonna quote Gary Gensler for a second. For those of you that remember this, Gary was on the faculty with Silvio McCauley who created Algorand. And Gary said prior to entering his post, his political post at the SEC, that this was going to be the big backbone, the big DeFi engine, the big blockchain. Um, and he said that, you know, as an example, he actually used this. And I put it up on Twitter about a week ago. The exact quote was, as an example, you could build all of Uber on the back of an Algorand. And I think what Steve and Jeff recognize is that combining their forces and having us have institutions take a look at it alongside of us, this is going to be a very powerful Trinity or trifecta 
uh, that will start laying out lots and lots of great applications and great great ideas. I love it. So that I mean, what like this is the time, right? And and what better place than Salt to have this conversation about why now? Um, so tell me more about Unlock, right? Like what does this mean, particularly you know for the institutional space? Well, I think it means like if you look at what Anthony. Uh, just shared and what he can bring is this institutional infrastructure to this and if you look at the NACs what we're bringing is we're bringing at scale corporate infrastructure to this and then you're taking what Steve has and what uh, um, Algorand has is the, the DeFi infrastructure and you put that together and we're capable of unlocking you know completely new different business models and uh, you know where I see it is like the Dutch indie company in 1670 uh, created stocks and what grew into that is the current financial infrastructure we see today. Well, what we have with the NACs and these new assets doesn't require all of that infrastructure. So you can create entirely new businesses. You can go a lot quicker. You're not necessarily going around regulation. NACs, we embrace it because regulation walks you back. But you do not need this massive infrastructure that exists today. And I think this is the, uh, the time. Awesome. Well, and I, uh, you know, one thing I'd add is that... Um, you know, what we're starting to see are scaled applications like you're building in Max, but also we're seeing scaled user bases um, show up. One of the things that um, we've focused on at Algorand or we're seeing a lot of adoption uh, are national projects. Um, you know, one example of, of how these things are crossing over already is um, the Italian music rights system uh, deployed about four and a half million NFTs onto Algorand that represent the rights of 100,000 Italian artists. Um, and now we're seeing DeFi applications like Opulus, where now those artists can unlock value that they've created uh, in the form of um, borrowing and lending against those those music rights, um, selling par partial royalties, and ultimately being able to make, you know, being able to create more music and, and art. And I think that uh, that's sort of a simple example of, you know, some of the power of, you know, how you combine these technologies, because now you have uh, applications that never could have or would have existed uh, in a traditional setting, um, starting to empower people in new ways, and we think that that's um, you know pretty exciting. That's really exciting. Um, that's that's awesome. So you know, kind of piggybacking on that, right? Is this a transition, or like you said, just a completely new way to kind of get things, new things into fruition? Like what what has not existed in traditional settings that you're sort of able to unlock now? Well, I think it's kind of a follow up to what I just said, which is. Um, you know, if you kind of put the example of, of the creator economy uh, and also you bring the example of, of expanding audiences, um, we think that's sort of a, a kind of fundamental piece. And again, it goes back to this trust of code versus trust of people. Um, but you may ha be an artist and have fans that be interested in participating all over the world. Um, we're seeing this in, in more traditional settings, too. Uh, example would be um, residential real estate. Uh, we see applications on chain for that where people can invest in residential or commercial real estate um, in increments of as little as $50. And so now, um, you know, another uh, project for us, um, for the National Blockchain for El Salvador, uh, there's people there that don't typically have enough money to invest in you know, large real estate projects, but now they can put relatively few dollars in and uh, the universe is, or the uh, liquidity and sort of universe of participants is expanded in such a way um, that now you can kind of reframe things and you end up with a better outcome for the investor who had no access in the past 
uh, you also end up with a better outcome for people creating assets because you know now they they can uh, have different forms of price discovery and liquidity than than previously. More more access and more assets. I love it. That's perfect. Awesome. What about you guys? Yeah, I think you know we have a number. Of, this this initiative unlock has got uh, earmarked about uh, a handful of projects that are coming out right now. Um, so we have a, the first one that's coming out is is around uh, uh, consumer finance and this this craze around buy now pay later. You saw Square acquire uh, Afterpay for twenty nine billion or so, um, and so there's this this opportunity here, and we're taking one that's in uh, in in the uh, consumer product space where large ticket purchase. So we're bringing that out. It'll have millions of customers. It's going to launch uh, just around Black Friday. And it'll do about 500,000 loans or so right then and there. And then we're capable of putting that on Algorand and then at the same time capable of securitizing it on the back. Uh, so it creates an entirely new financial instrument. We call it Caddy. Uh, we have another one that's coming that's in the art space. Uh, that's again going to come out on this Unlock initiative and then on Algorand. And we have uh, the, one of the world's largest underwriter of art. And if I just simplify this for the room, it's like, if we, I just look at the data, right? The data, and so we're all data. So if I look at the data of underwriting, there's about 25 attributes that requires you to underwrite art. Um, but if you look inside that, there's a subset uh, of attributes, about 12, that's required to lend. So we take those 12, we stick it in a new instrument, we call the instrument watercolor, and uh, we put a couple of our banking partners together, and we've just, bam, created the world's largest art lending platform. So if you think about it today, you can, go, you can walk out of here and go into a Ferrari dealership and buy a Ferrari and get a loan right then and there for it, car financing. But you can't walk into a gallery and get art financing. It doesn't exist. So this product does exist. If you think of even further with the COVID discussions that have been going on here at Salt, you have museums out there that have been just pummeled by COVID. Well, now we have a means to give them working capital. Um, if you have people that are asset rich with art, you now have a means to give you working capital. Uh, and then on the back side, we're also our securities business um, and our trading partners, uh, the exchanges, uh, we're able to package that up. So you have mortgage-backed securities and now you'll have art-backed securities. So these are just two examples, but these cannot exist without the environment we have today. I mean, I'm hearing art, I'm hearing Lamborghinis, I'm hearing Black Friday, like si sign me up, you're speaking my language. So <laughs> I love it, this is awesome. So what, what role does interoperability play in all of this? Well, if you think about uh, the, I think the early days of the internet would be the best example um, I can uh, come up with. You know, there was, AOL and CompuServe, uh, those platforms all largely kind of lived on their own. And I think the early internet was sort of seen as a, you know, kind of strange, wild place. Um, I think the reality is that what it ultimately created, though, was uh, a place where information largely flows freely anywhere that it wants to and has given rise to a whole variety of applications that, that couldn't really have been imagined um, in the early days. And I, I think that that's um, blockchain interoperability is of similar importance. Um, and I think Anthony's right. You know, we'll see, you know, a handful of uh, kind of scaled winning um, protocols that people use. Uh, but ultimately, they're going to have to talk to each other because um, assets need to move uh, wherever people want to use them. Um, users need to be able to move back and forth. And so that's something that, that um, we've done a lot of work on at Algorand. And in particular, this idea of being able to capture state and cryptographically guarantee it on other on other uh, platforms 
um, is something we've done a lot of work around. And, and so I, I think it's it's critically important. Um, and just one last point on this uh, is that we also believe that you know decentralization gives again people ways to transact um, that needs to carry through uh, to interoperability as well. And so I think right now, sort of the first early attempts have largely been centralized, and we think that needs to shift um, over time as well. Awesome. What about you, Jack? Well, I think interoperability is key. We have, and I'm trying to, I think projects make it the most relevant. Otherwise, it's a little bit esoteric what you're talking about. Um, and, uh, you know, Anthony and I were talking about the SALT conferences, family offices, right, and, and institutional investors. Um, and again, if you think about these digital assets that are getting created, they don't require that financial infrastructure that exists. So you can create these entirely new Ways. So we have a, a product coming out that's a, a secondary exchange for digital assets. Um, it doesn't work if you can't have interoperability of these assets across, which again, uh, we're going to put on the Algorand uh, platform. And then we've even uh, 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 pulling in a business that will help the family offices plug in. It, uh, the, it's a current uh, venture that we're invested in. It's called iPaladin that basically connects all of the, the, the family offices, uh, activities, the trusts, the, the, the assets that they hold, because if you're gonna start to trade between, you have to have a way to normalize it. Uh, and that, for me, is that interoperability and then putting it in a decentralized environment so you can trust the data uh, allows for you know, this idea of, uh, of commerce to happen. You you have the best product names for like uh, that I've ever heard from a crypto company. Watercolor palette. Yeah. It's like everybody else is like magnesium train or whatever. So I like it. I like. Shout out to the product people at Max. It, you know, they're, they're doing we test well. the names with Anthony before we actually roll it's them not, out. It's not <laughs> true, but they also have the greatest apparel. Trust me, my wife Deirdre is wearing that Max hat, so that's a good sign. Okay, from and she doesn't like any hats, but <laughs> there you go. But I, I, I want to say something because I think this is all about relationships, building relationships, expanding relationships. So uh, uh, 20 years ago, uh, my old boss, Bob Matz, had bought my first company. He was the president chief operating officer at Newburger Berman. We stayed close. I think Bob's been to every SAL conference since inception, probably sponsored the first one when less than 300 people were in the room. Um, and he came to me and he said, listen, I like what you're doing with Bitcoin. I like what you're doing with Ethereum, but I want you to look at Algorand. Uh, it's faster. It's got better technology. My former team at Golden Trees looked at it, likes it. It's got a negative carbon footprint, which Steve could take you through. And I think it's very, very important for you uh, if you're going into this space to understand that there's going to be a few next generation leaders, tier one leaders, and I want you to go take a look at it. I'm going to introduce you to Sean, who works with Steve, and uh, spend some time looking at it. Now, this is the value of human relationships. Uh, Jeff and I have been friends, I don't know, at least a decade. We sponsor a wine party in Davos, Switzerland together, which, you know, the minute you tell people they can't go to the party, everyone wants to show up, right, Jeff? And so we've got this uh, uh, world-class uh, VIP list, but we're also serving very expensive wine. Uh, but... I go to lunch for breakfast, go to breakfast with Jeff, Beverly Hills Hotel. Uh, I'm on his advisory board at the NACS. We start talking and I say, Jeff, um, what do you think of Algorand? Have you done any work on Algorand? He drops, I mean, he, look how thin he is. He like eats chicken sausage and some foo-foo LA stuff. <laughs> and looking at him, he drops the chicken sausage in the plate. He looks at me and he's like, 
okay, I'm, you're not going to believe this. I flew back from the Bitcoin conference. I went up to Boston and I met with the Algorand team yesterday. I think it was on a Monday. Yep. You and I were having breakfast on a Tuesday. That was several months ago. Uh, and then I said, okay, let's see if we can put these pieces together. So one of the reasons why we love doing this conference is the relationships. So we want people to meet each other, have fun with each other, but we want them to connect commercially to see if they can find some universal qualities about each other that they like, but also can they put a business together that could be a next generation exponential business. So I just wanted to lay that out for people. Uh, it's important for us to explain the story. It's important for us to break it down, which Steve and Jeff are obviously great at. And so if you have an interest in this, you could reach out to me, any of us, um, and we'll sit down. We're going to do a ton of one-on-one -on -one meetings. Steve and I are going to have a six-city roadshow uh, going to uh, our relationships around the country. Uh, and we're going to cap the first fund at $250 million because there's no need to do more than that in this space at this time. But it will be a series of funds. And this is a long-term committed five to 10-year strategy of working together. Um, and I think it's important for people to at least have the intellectual curiosity to understand why. Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, I love that. Um, there's a lot of intellectual <laughs> curiosity about what you guys are doing in this room, I think. What, like, what are the macro trends, right? What's driving this overall? Um, because you're, you're, you know, you're talking a lot about some awesome stuff that's happening in the blockchain. You're talking about some like great real world applications. Like what are the big trends driving this? Well, you know, we see like digital assets now there, we see a couple of big trends. First, um, uh, the, the amount of money that is moving into this and the value that's being created. I mean, it's gone up exponentially. I think uh, digital assets got about a $5 trillion market cap. It used to be just Bitcoin. It's now diversifying. So you're seeing that. <laughs> you're also seeing the participation in these markets uh, of these different, you see NFTs and some of the things that are being talked about. So around that, you, you need infrastructure to support that. And Algorand and, and what it's doing uh, is quite capable of it. And then the unlock initiative that we put together is very much there. There's another big trend if you look at what we're dealing with, which is around ESG. Um, and, uh, you know, we're at Davos and the Paris Accords are a big thing. I fundamentally do not believe we will meet the Paris Accords. It, it just won't happen. We're not going to get there. Um, and the reason for it is you can't get there with uh, corporate responsibility capital and social impact capital. It can't be just throwaway money. It's got to be, there's got to be new financial instruments that get created. And this, this type of platform allows for that. And you can get in, we have an entire ESG initiative that's led by Juan Bruce, who's somewhere sitting in here. Um, and uh, our partner AXA on that, which has pivoted their entire organization around this. And the, the, the instruments that we can create that can attract new capital that this fund will actually put in money into uh, is, 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 is it's, it's a game changer to what, what currently there. So you can create these new green bonds that then attract capital. You can, you can tokenize different activities that allow for investment in new buildings to uh, pour the capital in to make sure that they're sustainable. Um, and then the idea of decentralized by itself goes after not just the E, but also the S and the G, the social and the governance. Uh, and you're basically democratizing markets. And so I think this ESG trend is significant. I think Unlock will participate pretty heavily in that. Um, the digital asset trend is significant. Uh, the, the follow the money analogy is moving that way. So these things are helping and it's pretty exciting for what I see. 
Well, and just to add on the sustainability front, uh, um, we agree that's hugely important and I, I think um, somewhat uh, overlooked in, in a way uh, in this area. Um, Algorand in particular as a network um, uses about, um, don't hold me for the exact number, around 10 homes worth of electricity. And um, we have seen several to walk away come on chain with really novel applications. Um, climate trade is one example of that, where they work with the UN uh, to source sustainable carbon credits, and uh, they bring those into a marketplace uh, that's on-chain on Algorand that anybody can use. Um, one of the consumers of that is uh, the network itself, which automatically looks to how much carbon is being consumed and then uh, uses transaction fees to, in effect, purchase carbon credits that more than offset the, uh, the amount of carbon being consumed uh, by the servers uh, that are supporting the network around the world. And I think that that's a really interesting kind of way of, or use of the technology to sustain itself, um, but also, um, you know, do it in a way that isn't consuming huge amounts of, of power and huge amounts of computational resources that aren't needed. And um, I think one thing further is if you look at a simpler example that climate trade is enabling, um, they're a Spanish company. If you uh, take a flight on Iberia, uh, during the checkout process, um, they enable people to click a button to buy the carbon offsets um, for that flight and to offset their seat. And we think that things like that uh, lead to you know, sustainability in different ways because it gives people an opportunity uh, to take responsibility for that. And I think kind of a different side of the same coin, um, we, there's a project called Planet Watch. They deploy air sensors, air quality sensors um, in different cities around the world, um, especially in Europe where uh, you know, air quality problems lead to carbon tax um, Sometimes it can be questioned whether the right information is making it into the logs. So now they have people walking around, they're deployed all different places. Um, all that data is stored immutably on the blockchain. And so now it can never be changed. And they know exactly what the air quality looks like. And that's leading to kind of better outcomes, um, you know, in, in cities around the world. And so I, I think, you know, you're right for sure. There's not only examples of, of um, or there's not only the case that technology needs to be sustainable, um, but we also need kind of real world examples of how technology is empowering people um, to make the world a more sustainable place. And we're excited to be contributing to that. Yeah, I love that. Anthony, what do you, how, how does the, the ESG piece fit into all of this for you? Couldn't hear, I'm sorry. How, how does the ESG piece fit into all of this for you? How do you guys think about, you know, uh, so, the sustainability? So I, you know, I love Jeff's vision because it's sort of like, it's Steve on technological properties, the integrity of the system, Max on vision and the exponential growth of taking those properties. And it's me on access and creating a bridge to the institutional investor. We had a couple of uh, ESG panels on yesterday. And I think what Jeff is basically saying is that we can create a financial product, a financial token, a protocol uh, that's designed to incentivize people uh, to be more ESG friendly and, and it'll have certain properties related to it that you'll have a financial incentive and an uh, economic incentive to do that. And so um, remember, we have this big debate going on in the crypto community about whether something is green or something isn't green. Uh, Steve took that off the equation with his team by making this carbon negative. Uh, but just stop and think about uh, the petrodollar or stop and think about the banking system or think about all the ESG unfriendly things related to our current financial system. Uh, and, and then think about this backbone and the fact that this backbone will take out so many different intermediaries. Last night, 
we had dinner. I think Sam Bankman Freak was there. Um, and I think we were discussing the uh, stock transaction. There are seven layers of different people. And I was very impressed with Sam Bankman Freak because he actually listed all seven of them off the top of his head before you, you buy Apple, before it gets to you, it goes through seven different intermediaries before it ends up with you. Um, so just think about all of the carbon that's used as a result of that process. And I think what the NACS is going to do with the help of Algorand is going to take all of that out of the equation. So even if it isn't just ESG incentivizing and we created tokens related to that, just the fact that it's going to take all those intermediaries out of the system is going to make it very economically friendly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we get it. You guys get it, right? You've gotten it. Um, I think this room gets it. But what does it take to drive global adoption? How do we get everybody else to get it and, and to, to take up the mantle of what you're doing? Well, I think, you know, three, three guys in a garage and a vision is, is a pretty hard way to get adoption, right? One in 5,000 startups get to a $100 million valuation. That doesn't even mean they work. So there's a lot of failure in here. And if you looked at it, uh, I wrote a piece a while back of what makes something investable. And so our, we have a method that we look to uncover these ventures, and there's 13 components in there. Uh, but if you look at it, most fail for three reasons. One, product market fit was wrong. Two, the team was wrong. Or three, capital. And capital is a key reason. And if you look at capital, what we learn from is most of the money is spent on growth. You have to get the people into it. So we start with the volume. And this is why corporates are very important to us. And, and if you think about it, data is the most valuable commodity in the world now, right? It's more valuable than oil. Uh, but if you figured out oil is the most valuable commodity and nobody knew it, what would you do? You would go buy all the land. So what we do is we secure long-term contracts with corporations to mine their assets, to find volume assets that we can put onto this market. And then if you have volume, you create scale. You create scale, you create change. And that's, that's the key here. And in order for that to work, you have to have a protocol that can handle the volume. And this is why the Algorand, and you put that together with Unlock and you bring the institutional capital support and you got the sauce. I love it. Just, I, oh, go ahead, Anthony. I just wanted to ask him a question and I'm gonna cross. You, the hey, it's your, it's your world, Anthony, so, you just live in it. What was the eureka moment for you with Algorand and your team? We were looking for uh, a protocol that could handle the volume that we're putting on. And at the same time, you know, technically is not proof of work, but it's proof of stake. Uh, and because if you're- Yeah, I'm gonna stop you because there's a lot of people out here that actually still don't know the difference between proof of work and proof of stake. So just a so quick primer on that. Proof of work, you gotta do something to get something. That's like you solve a puzzle and they give you a token. Uh, that's Bitcoin, Ethereum and such. Proof of stake, you have to stake something and they reward you for that. Proof of stake has far less carbon impact. Algorand with their carbon negative aspects are even better. So that was the eureka moment on that. And then the eureka moment on, well, we're not just trying to take something that exists fine today and make it www.blockchain or .blockchain something. We're actually creating entirely new businesses that wouldn't otherwise exist without this infrastructure. And then the third point was, if you're gonna do that, do it at scale. So we've launched ventures that in the past that didn't have scale and it required hundreds of millions of capital. Like 
you're not going to decentralize Uber. They spend $6 billion a year in marketing, right? So it's a really hard thing to do. Um, but if you start with all the customers or the volume or what have you, and like many of our ventures are starting with that volume, that's where this starts to change. And that's where this gets really exciting uh, for the people in this room. And for that all to work, we had to bring these three parties together, which you did, Anthony. Uh, and for, for this to get enabled, we need a protocol that can handle it. That's awesome. Um, Steve, tell us kind of where do you see global adoption coming from? What's it going to take? Well, I think it comes from a few different places. Um, I think, you know, the work that uh, Jeff and Max are doing is certainly uh, a good place to start. And I think coming from organizations that have, you know, in some cases, hundreds of millions of users already uh, gives you a way to launch things uh, at scale that, um, you know, I don't think you see very often. So I think that's certainly very exciting. Um, we do see other uh, sources of demand, though. I, I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting about any new technology is uh, you don't know how people are going to, to use it. And so, you know, we do think we see a lot of like really cool work happening on um, dApps, so DeFi applications, uh, NFTs, the creator economy. We're seeing big shifts in really quickly. Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned a couple of times earlier, uh, the other area that we see, um, you know, a lot of demand coming from our national projects where large portions of a country's population just get brought online um, into blockchain applications very quickly. Um, we actually just, uh, Columbia just announced, uh, I believe last week, um, that they um, have uh, uh, turned on their COVID-19 vaccine passport. Uh, and so, you know, a big chunk of their population will be on chain. And what we're excited about there um, is we think that that's a great application, but we also think that'll lead to more applications. Um, and even in, you know, a number of those users being able to take advantage of uh, applications like Max is creating. And so again, I, I think in, in uh, new kind of application platforms uh, and new protocols, it's not, you know, any one application itself that creates an ecosystem. It's when different applications within that ecosystem end up using each other. And uh, that makes for, you know, really strong communities. So I think that's what we're really uh, most excited about. And again, the more you can bring users at scale, uh, they may come for one application or for one reason, but once you know they're using the network, you know, they can use it for many other reasons too. And so I think that's a really powerful effect that um, you know, we're looking forward to, to seeing more of. Yeah, and I would say just his point on ecosystem is critical, right? So Unlock in itself is an ecosystem, institutional, corporate, uh, DeFi, right? So putting that together creates this you know, imperiled, or, you know, first of its kind ecosystem. If you look about the NACs, we've created an ecosystem over the last number of years now around to make this stuff work, you need an underwriting partner, you need a banking partner, you need a trading partner, and you need a DeFi partner. So we've built that on, on one side, and then we built our platform. <coughs> and then as we think about, I don't have COVID, by the way, I'm, I got my shot and everything. So every time I cough now, I freak <laughs> out. I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm okay. No, I, I trust you. Yes. <laughs> but uh, we actually call everything that comes out of our NAX platform, um, whether it's the green NAX on ESG, uh, we call them scale ups because they're not startups. They start with the volume. And that's uh, and I don't I, I don't think it's an or you can't you can only do it this way. You can do it both ways. But it, this gives us an advantage, a leg up uh, as we get going. Awesome. And then, you know, to, to really look at the future, right? What does 2025 look like? What does 2030 look like, you know, for, for investment, for access? Like, where does this go in the near term? 
I mean, from our perspective, we're seeing exponential growth. So it's not, it's not, it's exponentially, it's compounding. Um, you know, you take 30 meter linear steps, you've gone 30 meters. You take 30 exponential steps, you've circumnavigated the earth a couple of times. So I think you're going to see just, just an explosion of growth now. And now that we have at scale protocols and ways to fundamentally create them at scale, that this is far different than it was a couple of years ago. So I see it to be exponential growth over the number of years here. I just want to say something quickly. You know, we, we made the announcement we're through $100 million. We're going to raise another 150, then we're going to cap it. Uh, we'll deploy it and then we'll think about what we're going to do on our next round. But the, the very cool thing about this is to open up your eyes and to understand it. Take the time to understand what is going on. Uh, Dan Loeb was up here this morning. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see him, uh, but he was a Graham and Dodd investor and he was a immediate naysayer on Bitcoin, crypto, and the blockchain. And then he did the work. He did a substantial amount of work and now he's in the coin space. He owns cryptocurrencies, including Ethereum. I've asked him to look at Algorand and he's, he's back FTX. Sam Bankman Free was up here speaking before. He's one of the smartest investors I know, and he took the time and the energy and deployed his intellectual curiosity and his team into understanding it. And that's my message to everybody here. Take the time to understand it, and then you can make an informed decision whether you want to be an investor or not. I love it. Steve, where does, where does this go in the next five, 10 years? Uh, well, you know, if, if maybe if I'm not sure the exact time horizon, but I think if you uh, look back, say, 20 years ago, uh, there were a lot of people questioning like why anyone should care about the internet or why you wouldn't just go to the store or why would you shop online? You know, what do you use this thing for? Uh, I think you fast forward to today, um, obviously it's changed the way people communicate and uh, shop and consume media uh, in ways that probably were, you know, maybe expected by a few, but not by many. Um, I think when we look back from where we are now, you know, in the future, I think people will be using blockchain networks every day, we're using apps that folks like Nax created. And uh, I think victory here um, from our perspective is that, uh, you know, protocols like Algorand become, you know, come part of the infrastructure that's used. Um, we don't really care that much if people know uh, that they're using Algorand. And I think when you fire up Netflix today, they use Amazon Web Services, uh, but nobody needs to care about that. Uh, and so I think that, that really what, in a way, what we're building is the next major public utility like the internet or the phone network or electricity uh, or, you know, railroads before them. It's a really good metaphor. It's really true. I love it. Well, thank you guys, Steve, Jeff, Anthony. Thank you. Thank and you thank guys. you guys all for being here.